Leadership Confessions with Phil Rose from Clarity Leadership. Welcome to the latest episode of Leadership Confessions with me, Phil Rose. Look, I've been blown away by the the feedback that we've had on the podcast so far. Thank you. It sounds like you're enjoying them as much as I am recording them. And I'm really excited about today's guest. As with many guests, he's a friend first, also a client, and he also spoke at our Purposeful Leaders event at Kew Gardens. Ram Ramachanda of Itachi. Ram, welcome. How are you, sir? I'm very well, thank you, Phil. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, thank you, mate. It's nice to hear you, and and thanks once again for a really inspiring presentation at at Purposeful Leaders at at Kew Gardens. Did you enjoy it? It was a pleasure, and it was inspiring listening to some of the other speakers, really, to be honest. But again, as I said to you afterwards, I think I enjoyed it far more than I thought I would, so thank you again. Yeah, pleasure, mate. And well, let's hope the same goes for 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 this today. <laughs> hey, so you're a chief commercial officer at Hitachi. You're in charge of the social innovation business. You will do a much better job of describing your role than me. Please give our listeners a little overview of your role, please. Sure. What I do is I incubate future businesses for Hitachi in the simplest form, and it's focused very much on how do we improve society through technology. So. Uh, I'll give you a good example. Right now, I'm very heavily focused on climate change. Mm -hmm. So major societal challenge, a macro challenge at a global level. What I do in my business is to look at how is the transformation to a greener infrastructure, which is what Hitachi does. It provides energy. It provides transportation infrastructure and digital infrastructure. How do you bring all of that capability together to create new transformational businesses that help us tackle climate change as a societal issue. I count myself very lucky, Phil. It's a very purposeful job. And Hitachi as a Japanese company has kind of had the the right values and ethos to think long-term in solving some of these fundamental problems. So social innovation, not in so much of a nutshell, in essence, is that's what it is. Well, it sounds like a really fascinating role to be involved with. Uh, I want to talk a little bit more about how you got there, but also just, I know you spent two solid weeks at COP26 up in Glasgow. Uh, How did that go? It was amazing, actually. Like most people that were probably there for two weeks, I started the journey by thinking, wow, that's a long time to be away from home. (laughs) But I got very lucky. I I went to a dinner hosted with Al Gore the first night I was there. And I think he really brought it home to me about the importance of business in the climate change agenda. Now, I've been in climate change for 16 years now, uh, and seven of those years working with Hitachi. And the challenge in those 16 years has been around how do we, as a business community, really tackle some of these big challenges? And listening to Al Gore and his inspirational speech, was it was really around Business needs to connect to government, needs to connect to people to come together and with finance to be able to tackle this problem. It's not a governmental challenge on its own. And I strongly believe more than ever that business is in a better place almost than almost in governments to be able to tackle climate change in the right way. We need to unlock the power of all of these amazing CEOs that run our businesses all over the world that have global reach to be able to tackle this problem. So with that inspirational note, throughout the two-week period, I was very lucky to spend a lot of time meeting politicians, mayors, CEOs of big companies, financiers, discussing this idea of how does business connect with government, 
society and finance to really tackle some of these fundamental transformation challenges that we have. Came back very inspired, came back a broken man, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, uh, I can imagine. Two weeks of meetings that start at seven and finish at 10 and presentations and, and, and so on. Great, great event. I think probably one of the best cops ever. Yeah. So I, I guess great context, Ram. Uh, and I guess what I want to do now in the rest of the interview is is kind of lead our listeners into a path of how have you arrived at doing what you do? So let's kick off, I guess. What, what do you think have been some of the significant events in your life that have shaped who you've become? Well, it's a great question. I think there are two or three things that really fundamentally transformed or, or really shaped my thinking in life. I was lucky enough as a child, I grew up in India till I was 30. And I had a very different life there. Uh, my dad's a doctor and my grandfather's a doctor. They're very purposeful individuals connected to their contribution and impact to society, really. And I was inspired by them and the things that they did. My grandfather built a mission hospital in India and very much a charitable individual. And when I left India, and we were a typical Indian middle-class family, had a good life. But we then my father decided to come to England in 1980, an interesting time for uh, an ethnic minority to arrive in England. I have to be open and say I, I experienced uh, a period of racism and, mm. and, and bullying at school that really was both shocking, but also really helped galvanize me as an individual about how do you become a survivor? How do you take a, a arrival at a very difficult situation like, and then how do you adapt to a very different different world. And I think that that really shaped my ability to be, it gave me a very strong survivalist instinct. Yeah. Right. Now, as I've grown older in life and had children and, and live in a, the kind of wonderful community that I live in now with you and others and where we live as friends, you recognize that survivalist instincts are not, are not enough in life. You know, especially as you become a leader and you, you manage and you lead lots of people and you're trying to work with them, that you need to have this kind of sense of being connected, sense of having a, a stronger purpose than just survival. So what I've done over the, I don't know, the last decade or so is start to connect my history uh, of coming from a very altruistic family, a purposeful family, to my own survivalist kind of behavior, connect those two things, which has really landed in the world of climate change. Mm -hmm. So I feel very purposeful uh, in what I do uh, because it has an impact. Uh, but at the same time, I feel like I've had to do, a, I've had to work very, very hard to assimilate myself as an individual and as a leader uh, so that I can be open to really hearing the people around me and helping and guiding my teams uh, in the right way. I don't know if that made any sense, but it's it's a journey rather than a moment. <laughs> no, look, I, and and it made a lot of sense. And I'm sorry that you had to experience that as a as a child when you arrived in the UK. Um, that's horrible. But what is a, a truly inspirational story is to hear how you've taken that negativity and and turned it into a, a positive for you. That's remarkable, mate. Thank you. Thank you. If I think about more around the leadership elements, what do you think's been the sort of significant events or what shaped your leadership style? Do you feel there's any defining moments in that? Yeah, I think, I think 
I've been through quite a variation of careers. I've worked in big corporate when I started, when I graduated, uh, then moved on to become an entrepreneur. So a decade of working in big corporations in the IT industry and then then, um, operating as an entrepreneur for another decade doing startups both out of Silicon Valley and in Europe. And in most of that time, I'm a very results-orientated individual. So I'm very performance-based. And I'm also a player manager. (laughs) So I, I like to be in the game. I'd like to be in the front doing the deals with the guys and very driven in that way. But what I've realized is that you can't just be performance-based alone. It goes back to this point about purpose. And, and when I joined Hitachi, because they have this kind of much more, this whole idea of social innovation really resonated with me. Mm-hmm. And, and they mean it. It's not, it's not a marketing thing. It's not, it's not a, a business in its own right. It's, it's, it's a philosophy that's existed in their DNA for over 120 years. And over time, uh, being the custodian of that uh, in Europe, I've really learned, I've had to sort of understand how do, how do we deliver business performance whilst mm-hmm. also being very purposeful in terms of how you drive your teams. So now what I do with my teams is really try and work with them to understand what is, your, what is their purpose yep. and how does that connect to what Hitachi's purpose and how do you bring those two things together to have an impact and results? So I think for me, being, I've had this journey of being a very, very performance and results-driven person only to incorporate performance and purpose as being the fundamental leadership pathway going forward. So when you think about leaders that may have inspired you, and you mentioned Al Gore earlier, is there any that, that spring to mind based on your background and on your experiences to date? Yeah, I think, look, my, my grandfather was a big inspiration for me because he, he, again, came from a very difficult journey, you know, coming from post-independence India with nothing, worked in a spice factory, put himself through medical school by earning money there, gave himself asthma by working in a factory like that unfortunately died young but but built a mission hospital you know he wow. was brought up by missionaries he was very um, religious as a man and built a mission hospital that left a massive legacy uh, in his local community and there was a lot of goodness there but also success you know in, in what he did and I'm also you know and my, my father is, a, is is an inspiration because he's a good man and he's <laughs> been a doctor for he's still working He's 84. Wow. That's <laughs> and, brilliant. And he insists on going to work because he's driven and committed <laughs> to what he does. And I, you know, as a son, worry about him because of COVID. But I recognize that when you're purposeful and, and inspired in that way, your work is not work. It's your it's your calling. So they they are from a personal point of view, been inspirational. I think from a from a broader external point of view, I've worked, I've been very lucky to work with people like the founders of Computer Center, who you know, Peter Ogden, yep. Phil Hume, who I found to be very smart, very clever, very innovative in, in how they created that company. And at a broader, much more philosophical level, I, I'm a big fan of people like Gandhi, who, again, were inspirational leaders that kind of had this, this sense of you can achieve a lot by doing good. You know, that, that always connects with me. 
Love it. Great, great stories. Some great examples there, Ram. What, and what do you find as being a leader? What do you find one of your biggest challenges is? Being at my higher self all the time. Yeah. Uh, Phil, because, uh, you know, and we all we, we all struggle with our own demons, our own insecurities. <laughs> and, and, and I find that when I'm in the room with the team, and I'm helping them tackle with their challenges and deal with their problems. I'm at my best. Um, you yeah. know, I want to have my coaching style and what I, what I call, you know, being your higher self, you know, when you're not being pulled into, like I said, a survivalist kind of behavior where you're, you know, because of that history with me as a survivor. I have a, a, a fight, you know, fight or flight instinct that is quite attuned, right? So, yeah. so therefore, watching that and then being aware, being present, listening to my team, my leadership team, and helping them navigate their own journey in that way, and not responding to challenges in a kind of a, oh, how do we fix the problem immediately? You know, how do how do you survive that challenge? But really look at the bigger picture at all times. And help guide the teams in the right direction. I, I, I don't. I don't know if that's a challenge, but it's. It's certainly. No, it is. Uh, <laughs> it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Try, trying to have that higher purpose when you're doing that. You know that 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 day job. It. Yeah. That's that's a challenge. How, how do you think your team would describe your leadership style? <laughs> you know, if you if you were to put three or four or five bullets down, what what do you think they would say? I, I think the coaching, um, yep. em empowering, and. I think I think it's personal because I, I get invested right on a personal mm -hmm. level with my guys, and I'm not blowing smoke up myself. It's you know, and, and I can be quite visionary and inspirational in terms when I when I'm up and running. I can be <laughs> when the motor's running at good speed. <laughs> no, you're not blowing smoke. You are. You know, when we work together with you and your team, you are, and you can see that coaching style uh, come through as well. What do you think you? biggest mistake has been therefore come on this is leadership confessions mate and if i'm not asking you you know where have you screwed up what do you think your biggest mistake's been and, and what have you learned from it so i think they're the, the great ones you know never watch the office right see <laughs> 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 because yeah, it's, it's too much of a reminder so uh, not, uh i think other than um i think growing up i, I got into a leadership role very young and uh, because because I was successful, because I was a, a very successful set um, at closing deals and getting deals, and I became a sales director quite young in a in a in a great startup that we that we did, and uh, I was on the board, and I felt the pressure of that. And I think one of the moments I look back on, because I, I was able to get results, I expected everybody to be able to do the same thing that worked for me, and I couldn't understand why they couldn't. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There was lots of reasons why they couldn't. It wasn't the failing in them. The market wasn't ready. Uh, there was just a lot of other things that, as a leader, I needed to take into account. But because I was very young, I drove them really hard. You know, so literally every morning, I used to call them prayer meetings. We used to turn up every morning early and we'd look at the deals. We'd, you know, we need to crack through. And it was, I, I think for me, if I look back, and luckily, they still remain friends. <laughs> you know, I was too results. I was too performance orientated. Right. And I wasn't really at my higher self, if that makes any sense. Yes, it does. And, and no, I look yeah. back on time and I go, wow, I wish I was a, a kinder person at that moment. 
I, I can't imagine you weren't kind, but I guess it was the number one priority was, was performance. Yeah, it, it, and, and I think as a leader, you, you, you have to really encourage their growth for them to perform at their best rather than hammer away at, we need to get that deal, we need to get that number. And, it, and I think, you know, yeah, so that, that to me has been a big learning. Uh, and it's great. We meet up as friends and we chat about those times um, and we have a laugh. Uh, and so, and they have some learning from that as well, right? Yeah. Uh, but I think uh, when you become a, a leader really, really young, um, your growth is quite important. Yeah. So what does, what does and I'll come to your sort of growth plan, development plan, what, what does high performance look like to you today? Uh, it looks very different today than it looked before. Um, so for me, it's it's about um, connecting purpose to work, to society, and therefore delivering results. So let me give you an example on that. So when I look at climate change right now, I want to unlock the the ability for corporations to fix climate change. So that's my purpose. Yep. I've spent nearly 30 years in business um, and in all sorts of guises, and I know how business works. So, and I've done 50% of that period, over 50% of that period, climate change. So I know, I understand the challenges in fixing that problem. And I know in, in, at my deepest level that fixing climate change requires business to take action and own the problem with government, right, and changing society for the right way. So, you know, we, we built everything for the last 100 years with an industrial revolution perspective. Mm -hmm. We now have to change everything and redesign everything in society with a climate change perspective. That's really exciting when you start to think about the world and the changes we need to create to do that. Now, I work in the company that allows me the opportunity to think about those problems and do that. So one of the things I'm starting to think about is what do other CEOs think about? Mm -hmm. So I've started the process of talking to them. And you'll like this. I'm, I'm going to be doing some interviews with them and say, why would you, as a, as a CEO of a big brand, uh, want to create a climate change agenda for your business? Yep. Because I think that the, the reason climate change gets fixed is because when businesses start to realize this big business in climate change, I've always had this point of view. Yep. When you try and make a CEO into an environmentalist, it doesn't work. But when you make a CEO wake up to the idea, there's big business in climate change, you can deliver shareholder value and increase your profitability, then you've galvanized that leader to be able to solve that problem. So for me, that's it. That's what I want to do for the rest of my life. <laughs> good, good for you. So, so how, what process do you put yourself through to be at your best? You know, you talked about, you know, two solid weeks in COP26 and you come back a broken man. And I think anyone can uh, uh, sort of empathise with that. But what, you know, but not every two weeks are like COP26. What, what processes do you put in place so you can operate at your best all the time? I think I'm very lucky I have a really strong leadership team who cover the bits that I may not be good at, you know, um, I, and I recognize some of that. I think that to be at my, to, to be my, I, I follow kind of, and you know this, you're, you're, you're a physical exercise driven person. 
I try and get the balance between, especially during COVID-19 when I'm not so much in an office environment, is to, to have like a habitual process of physical exercise in the morning, getting myself kind of into the into a space before I walk into my room, my office to start the day. And for every meeting, what I'm doing now is to really kind of take a, a pre-reflection on why am I going in there? What is the outcome I'm looking for? And making sure that I'm listening all the time in order to be able to get something out of that process. So I don't know if I'm making sense. I think, you know, to, to remain in my higher self, I need to kind of constantly make sure that I'm keeping myself balanced as an mm-hmm. individual, but physically and mentally, especially during these incredibly challenging times. Got it. And then switching tack a bit, had professionally, and you alluded to this a bit in your introduction, but professionally or personally, how have you overcome your biggest setbacks? I think really I, I got I got married to the right woman. <laughs> <laughs> and B is a beautiful woman. <laughs> so I'll be honest with you, I think she, having a partner that kind of looks at you, gets you and says, look, you need to deal with some of this stuff that you're carrying around. To be fair, you know, when we got together 16 years ago, kind of, she set me on that kind of recognition and working on myself to be able to assimilate more. And I think having children, as you know, also ground you to look at who you are and, and how you're connecting to the to the world. So those have been very important aspects in my life to be able to overcome some of the challenges because it's allowed me to be not so survivalist mm-hmm. in my thinking and be more um, kind of um, uh, open to being connected. Lovely. What a wonderful response. Uh, Ram, I love that. Thank you. Um, I'm not sure who I should be asking this question to, whether it's your children, whether it's it's <laughs> it's be your wife or or your team. But I'm going to ask you, uh, what rattles your cage, uh, and and then how does how does Ram show up? <laughs> Integrity, yeah. because I invest a lot in everything, especially people, and I operate on a high integrity and moral scale. And if my integrity is questioned, I does bring out the the fight instinct in me and I try not to do that because I think it's however hard you try to be open and connected and and, uh, working at your higher self you can't always predict other people's behavior and how people are going to respond and and I think as a leader I've learned to also grow a thicker skin if you like to be able to recognize even if you try your best, there are always going to be situations that you can't predict. So we're going to start moving on to some of the future stuff. What's what's on your personal development plan at the moment? What are you personally, not, not from a business perspective, but from a leadership style perspective? What are you working on? I'm totally taken with purpose, Phil. I think, you know, I, I came into that understanding as part of a growth process that I've gone through in Hitachi from a career development point of view, I love it. I think it, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, when it you does can connect me. yourself to your work and your work to an impact, you feel fulfilled. 
and work is no longer work. It's, and I think I've struggled with that uh, as I've as I've grown. And now that I understand it, I just want to keep learning about it and grow in that direction. I don't know where it will lead me ultimately, and I like that as well. Yeah, you know? yeah, I can understand that. So that's that's the thing. Purpose is at the moment is is the area where I'm heavily invested. And and, and if you were if you were meeting a young ram that was arriving in the UK <laughs> in 1980 or leaving India at the age of 13. What what would what advice would you be giving to yourself starting out again? I think if I met me at thirteen, I would have um, given me. And I, by the way, you know, I, I said I'd, I'd experienced racism. I also met some amazing people uh, who gave me empathy and the sense of caring that allows you to get through those times. So I think if I met me at 13, I would just, you know, as I would to my son, sit down and say, it's going to be okay. I'm here. You're going to make it. And don't be so afraid because you'll make it through this. So that's what I would say. What racism do you experience today? Oh, wow. (laughs) I think nothing as overt as I experienced when I first got to England in, in 1980. Very little I mean, look, we all read the news. We, we see the world isn't right, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, but I'm going to say, say I'm lucky that that journey, from, from a macro point of view, I'm aware that racism and any kind of prejudice is a challenge that we must fix in society mm-hmm. uh, and that it hasn't gone away. It, it just rears its heads in different guises. But, you know, my gauge is not me. It's my children. And... I don't hear a single experience my children have had, knock on wood, that represents what I grew up with. And that, that shows me how far we've come as a society. And that's good to hear. What, what advice would you share for aspiring leaders? Uh, it goes back to the thing that I feel like I now feel like is, is the best leadership learning that I've ever had is try and find why you're here. What is your personal purpose what is your journey to this point and what is that how does that connect to what job you're doing and then once you've got that sense of who you are you're much better tooled or or equipped to deal with helping your your team go on the journey with you if you're not clear as to why you're doing what you're doing why you're here who you are I think it's very hard to inspire and lead your people because you're not authentic. And I think authenticity comes from understanding your sense of purpose. Some really wise words here, mate. Um, um, I'm going to switch tack to for a more of a personal level. Um, give, give us an insight to our, our listeners of, of Ram uh, Ramachanda outside of work. Not that interesting, I'm afraid. Um, do, do, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, as much time with the family as I can, as you know, you know, before COVID, I was on the plane a lot. I was yeah. hardly at home, so I'm glad to be here, uh, uh, connected to the children growing up, um, and doing as much physical exercise as I can, being outdoors as much as I can. Love playing tennis with my daughter. Uh, love running when I can get out there, and I haven't got an injury, um, <laughs> and and love cooking. So that's that's the dichotomy. I love exercising, but I also love cooking and yeah, well, I love eating. eating. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, what's your guilty pleasure? Cooking. I could indulge uh, half a day in preparing a meal. Yeah, yeah. and and uh, quite be happy to do that. Uh, uh, and then watch a really good old-fashioned movie in the afternoon. What would be one of your favourites then? Favourite movies? Oh wow, there's so many. Um, I think uh, I, I like. I'm a big fan of the oldies, and and uh, so um, uh, now you've got me. Very hard to tell you, but I suppose I love films with people like Paul Newman, Robert Redford, uh, Steve McQueen. Uh, all these characters that kind of define heroism at a different level, you know? Love it. What What would you put in Room 101? My TV. Really? <laughs> well, because I spent too much time watching it. <laughs> well, you can't watch the old movies then. What are you hopeless at? Admin. <laughs> Rubbish at admin. I'm lucky uh, that B's really good at home admin. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, uh, and, and lastly, what makes you smile? Uh, I think watching my children doing, getting on with their stuff when they when they know when they don't know I'm watching, if that makes any sense. I was, you know, they're just sitting in a room, they're doing their thing, and it's just nice to see them growing up. That's a lovely way to finish, Ram. Look, it, it's a, you know, I'm I'm always always have a smile on my face when I see you. I'm really proud to call you a friend, a client. And, and you know, once again, want to say thank you for speaking at our Purposeful Leaders event in Kew in September. And, I, and I'm sure anyone that wasn't there listening to this can understand why we asked you to speak because you, you know, your purpose does come over loud and clear. That's a journey you're on. And it's, uh, and it's wonderful. So this interview has been really insightful, Ram. Thank you, sir. Likewise, well, thank you very much. Wow, what a remarkable man. I'm really proud to call Ram a friend. We live in the same village, see him regularly out on a dog walk, and and I'm always inspired by the conversations that we have. And and I think what I'm really pleased about is I think that came over in today's interview. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did interviewing him. Thank you. Leadership Confessions from Clarity Leadership. Email hello at clarityleadership.co.uk and subscribe to receive every episode as it's released.